0: Theatrical Shenanigans, with Melissa Schmitz. Greetings, hello, here we are again for more Theatrical Shenanigans. I'm glad you've been able to join me because it'd be very lonely without you. So we're halfway through our first season and I hope you're still enjoying yourselves as much as I am. If you've not joined me before, I am Rachel Feeney-Williams, independent playwright and your host as we enjoy some wonderful audio plays from brilliant works from playwrights all over the world and enjoy a bit of a chat with a guest. Last week, I was joined by the host of the podcast On Stage Off Stage, George Sapio, and I had so much fun, I thought I'd bring in another podcast host. She is the wonderful host of the podcast 101 Stage Adaptions, Melissa Schmitz. Hello, Melissa.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Not a problem. It's a thrill to have you here. So, first things first. How did you decide that you wanted to start your podcast, or indeed get involved in the arts world?
1: Mm, okay, those are two different questions. The first, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the second one first. I I've always been attracted to the stage, film, acting, that sort of thing. So, I I keep trying to think if there was ever a moment where I was like, "Aha, that's it. That's what I want to do." And and there isn't. It was just sort <laughs> of a knowing of like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, and so I've been pursuing that ever since I was 12 with this knowing of like, this is the field for me. I've dabbled in a number of different areas, acting, directing, playwriting. So I know about the artistic side of theater. I know about the business side of theater. And, um, and so now I'm trying to reevaluate where I want to lean toward mm-hmm. more fully. I started the podcast because I really want to lean into playwriting at the moment. And I have an adaptation that I've been working on. And I was disappointed in the amount of information that exists about how to do it. Yeah, And so I started the podcast as a reason to ask people, the experts, how they do it.
0: So of course I've listened to your, to your brilliant podcast, but for those who don't know, I mean, you covered it kind of a a bit in the, in the, what it's about, but can you give us a kind of idea of the who's and the how's and how long you've been keeping it going for?
1: Sure. So I launched this podcast in September of this year, 2022, and, um, I have been thinking about it and working on it for at least a year before Mm -hmm. that. And. Um, and part of it was because I wasn't sure what angle I wanted to take. I knew I wanted to do a playwriting podcast, but I really wanted, um, something more specific. And so because I was writing my own adaptation, that's how I decided, well, obviously it should be (laughs) an adaptations podcast. Um, and that makes it more specific and more niche. And so when I'm approaching playwrights, I, I say, you know, instead of saying, oh, would you like to be a guest on my podcast and talk about playwriting? I say, hello, I've read your adaptation and I really love it. Mm. And I think, and I would love to interview you on my podcast. What do you think? And it makes it an easier yes for some of these bigger name guests that I've been able to get so far. And so what it's about is me interviewing playwrights about a specific adaptation that they've created Mm. and then asking them other other questions about playwriting how they do it and and I'm also interested in you know the business side of things yeah. and so I'm really hoping to get a full spectrum of the industry in this podcast in addition to the 101 adaptations that I will yeah. feature because of the name yeah but this I mean you mentioned this earlier this is like only one
0: branch of your involvement in the art. Do you kind of have a standout moment for your career
1: so far? Um not really. I feel like my career hasn't started yet, honestly. Like nah. I've like I've done things. I have a short piece that I've that I've written um that I produced in college, um but I don't really feel like I have launched yet in terms of my yeah. own artistic career hmm. um so maybe maybe circle back to me in about a year because i feel <laughs> like something is about to to pull through yeah
0: i think i think don't think it's a case of uh, if it's a case of when i think there is there's so much that you have already contributed
1: we'll see We'll see. I mean, there was, uh, I, we talked about this on the podcast. I had my, my mentor on Sam Hall. And when I was uh, in college, my first year at university, I was in his production of the crucible, Mm. which was a punk goth post-apocalyptic style. That was like really amazing. That was really awesome for, uh, for all of us involved. Mm. Um, And so that's a standout moment. Mm. I just interviewed Mary Zimmerman, the tony award winning Mary Zimmerman, on my podcast oh, cool. a couple weeks ago. That was a standout moment for me, yeah, um but um, but I feel like more and bigger things are coming, fingers crossed. Mm. <laughs> we will keep our fingers crossed for you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Moving on from my guest now, I'm going to tell you a bit about the playwright we're here to hear from. John David Brown, author of this week's play, Fun, is based out of Atlanta, Georgia, USA, and studied creative writing at the University of West Florida. He has worked extensively with theatres, schools, and community organisations as a writer, actor, director, and educator, another person with a CV that's exhausting to say. He's also co-founded the Peppertown Players in his hometown of Bonifay, Florida. So his play that we're here to listen to is entitled Fun, and is slightly more sinister than some of our other pieces, which is understandable given where it came from. At the time of writing Fun, John was reading a lot of true crime content, and at one point asked the question, what draws me to stories like this? In the conversation between the two characters, simply named A and B, you may find yourself asking similar questions. What draws me to stories like these? What's our cultural fascination with the worst parts of humanity? And... By giving them so much attention, are we rewarding them with power? Theatrical Shenanigans presents Fun by John David Brown.
2: Okay, we're recording. Good. Can you state your name? No. I'm sorry?
3: No. I do not want you to use my
2: name. Um, well, I'm going to tell people your name when they read my article. Then,
3: have a nice day.
2: Wait, please. Um, why don't you want people to know your name? Would you? I understand. But the purpose of this interview... Would you? No, I guess not. But to be fair, I also wouldn't have done what you did... That is likely true. And people know who you are. Not everyone. A lot of
3: people, though. A lot is not everyone.
2: There's not really a reason for me to do this interview if I can't tell people who you are. So? So, I guess, goodbye. You're bluffing. I'm not bluffing. This completely defeats the purpose. What's the purpose? You are a person of interest. People want
3: to know about you. What is your purpose? What do you mean? What is your purpose in speaking with me? I mean, I'm a journalist. So you're going to write about me?
2: Yes. Um, I thought I made all of this pretty clear in the email.
3: Why do you want to write a story about me?
2: Like I said, you're a person of interest.
3: You're not answering the question. You
2: know, I'm supposed to be the one doing the interview here.
3: Then you're not doing a very good job.
2: (laughs) Well, you aren't exactly making it easy. You still have not answered my question? Okay. You know what? I think this is over.
3: Again, you're bluffing.
2: No, I definitely mean it this time. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. You're very young. Okay. So you have not had your job very long. How about you let me worry about my job and you worry about being in prison for... Do not
3: say it. If you say it, you cannot use anything.
2: You know I don't have to put everything we record into the article, right? Just because you say something doesn't mean I have to print it. But you will have the statement on record. You can tell me anything you want to be off the
3: record. Except for my name. No, it's just... If you're to print this interview, you may not add or remove one word. That's not how this works. That is exactly how it
2: works. But I can't do the article if it doesn't even say your name.
3: You most certainly can. No, I most certainly can't. You are the writer. You get to choose what article you write. And when you write this article, it will contain our conversation verbatim. I can't do that. Here are my terms. You may interview me, but no one can know who I am or what I have done. And you cannot edit my words or yours. But, I... let's not... Do not argue. We have already argued. I tire of talking in circles. Uh, okay. Okay. Then... Um,
2: hmm. If I'm being honest, I don't really know where to start. Start by
3: answering the question. Why do you want to talk with me?
2: Because I'm a journalist, and you're an interesting person. I don't know what else you want me to say.
3: There are plenty of interesting people. Celebrities are interesting. You are a celebrity. There are many people more famous than me.
2: Yes, but you answered my email.
3: You sent the email.
2: Yes. Why? Because it's my job. But you specifically sent me an email. I was interested
3: in you. I am
2: interested in you.
3: Why? Do my actions have some personal resonance with you? Something that happened in your childhood? No, thank God. Something that happened to someone you know? No. Then
2: why? I guess because people would be interested in you. They would be interested in what I have done? Yes, of course. Why? Because people want to know why people do things. They want to understand human behavior. They want to see under my hood. Yes, exactly. They
3: want to know what makes me tick.
2: Right. Bad is fun. I mean, yeah, that's one way of putting it. But no, I'd say bad is interesting, not fun. Same thing. No,
3: it's not. Who cares what you call it? Bad sells copies. Crime is fun. Theft. Corruption. Violence. Murder. It is all so fun. Clarify that for me. Fun to read about or fun
2: to do? Both. Sometimes. Most of the time. So when you uh, did the things you did, you had fun? When you lie, is it fun? It can be, sure. Why? You can get out of something you don't want to
3: do. No, not the end result. The act itself. Is it fun?
2: Okay. Yes,
3: sometimes. Why? Why?
2: Well, it's probably about the control. You're convincing someone of something that's not
3: true. Everything in life is about control. Can you explain that? Every decision involves either the possession or release of power. We just want to be in control of our lives. So is that why you did it? You wanted control over your
2: own life? Who do you think is in control of this conversation? Can you answer my question first? Why would I do that? Because I won't answer yours unless you answer mine. Yes, you will.
3: No, I won't. Then I will answer for you. You have no control here because you need me. And I do not need you. You may
2: not need me. But don't I have control over the way I present my story? Actually,
3: your story? Do you think that matters to me?
2: Obviously it does. You don't want me to use your real name or state your crimes. You care about the way the world perceives you. Is that what you think? Yes, that's what I think. But I don't understand. People know who you are. They know what you've done. I'm not revealing a secret. You're a headline news. You have been for months. Everyone knows. Everyone. What I'm giving you is the chance to tell your side of the story. Let us know the woman behind the monster. Monsters are fun. Remember when you said you got tired of talking in circles? Those were your circles. So this is about control. Everything is about control. Okay, then. Let's talk about control. What are you going to do if I publish your name, huh? What can you possibly do to me? You're in prison. I don't think because you've given me these convoluted answers doesn't mean I can't paint a fully realized picture of you. Demented psychopaths are fun. So you admit it. Yes. Reading about people like you and seeing them fry is very fun. Yes, it is. Then what's to stop me? Why shouldn't I put your name and the indescribable, disgusting things you've done in one more headline? Why shouldn't I chop this interview up into tiny pieces and only use the parts that serve me?
3: Because all of this has been on the record.
2: I couldn't edit the recording? I couldn't go in and delete the parts I don't want and make sure no one ever hears them? What would you do? Go public? I'm sure people would really care about the opinion of a- Do not say it. Why not? What will you do? What control will you have then?
3: I will kill you. Well- To be more specific, I will have you killed. You're perfectly free to publish my name. You have that power. I cannot stop you. You're in complete control. But there are things I'm in control of as well. And your life is one of them. You're bluffing. I could be. Very true. But do you think a demented psychopath, as you so eloquently put it, is completely without friends. I don't believe you. We are in a prison. This room is heavily monitored. I just said that I would kill you. No one has come in to take me away. Why do you think that is? Goodbye. (laughs) This was enjoyable. I appreciate your visit. Before you go, let me ask you a question. You now have on record a fascinating conversation, but it is essentially unusable to you. Either you publish it as is and out yourself as a very bad journalist, which you are, or you make your edits and sell your copies and get a pat on the back from your editor and take a gamble with very high stakes. That wasn't a question. No, the question is, was this
0: fun? I don't know about you, but that last moment gave me chills. That was Dana Hall as A and Julio Corti as B in Fun, written by John David Brown. Uh, Melissa, first impressions, first thoughts. First impressions.
1: It's a fun, no pun intended. It's a, it's a fun um, sort of cat and mouse game mm. for two actors. And, um, I like the the mystery about it. the things are sort of unraveling. Are we going to know what this person did? Like, what's going to happen? So I like the the mystery um that that unfolds. I mean, the first thing that struck me was despite it appearing to
0: be a simple premise of just two people sat there having conversation. But dialogue does, as you said, have you asking a million questions about these two uh characters and that in itself gives the play infinite potential
1: yes and i was also thinking about you know as as an actor or a director the playable nature of each of these lines yeah so it's it's a really great scene study as well
0: mm. i just the the dynamic between them is so brilliantly constructed because just when you think a has kind of pulled it back uh, b completely flips
1: it around again constantly thinking what's what's coming next exactly when I was in graduate school I took a scene analysis class and we had to outline who is in charge who, yeah who is the dominant who is the dominant character in this moment and so in this play there's a lot of opportunity to play with each of them trying to be the dominant one but who actually is the dominant one and, yeah. and the different like subtle subtext and other ways that you can Play with that, and mm. um, you know, yeah. Just there's lots of opportunities for for different interpretations, or you know, different choices to make as an actor or a director.
0: Yeah, I mean, originally when I was sent the script, there is a line um, that has been changed that made it apparent that B was male. Do you think having both characters as women changes the
1: emotional, the tension of the piece? I don't think so. I. Th- I think you could do the simplistic thing if you have like two men doing it I feel like the easy way out is just to have them sort of escalate and start yelling at each other Mm. um but that but that's you know that to me that would be too simple and and too easy you know it's much it's much more interesting I was also thinking about like Silence of the Lambs and the dynamic between Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins characters in that um, so I feel like there's there's sort of that element as well. But um, but I don't think that either of these is supposed to be a certain gender or needs to be a certain gender.
0: Um, oh, I mentioned earlier about the piece's potential, and I really do believe there are so many directions that this piece can go, simply by almost creating the journey of these characters by answering the questions that you will obviously have by the end of the conversation. So like why is A new to her job? Is she young? Does she something happen at her last job?
1: What crime has B committed? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's definitely definitely questions about, you know, why why is this particularly interesting to to the journalist? Um, why is it? Why does she need this interview? Or why do yeah. they need this interview? You know, um, is it is their job based on it or was it assigned to them? Or is it really like a passion article that they're trying to write?
0: But does she really have a personal connection to whatever this oh, right? the uh, character has done?
1: yeah. it's is she are, are they like sort of a secondary or peripheral victim mm. of of their crimes? You know, that's that that could be that could be something to play with as well.
0: So that's thing just by opening that jar of worms of the questions that you have, you could have this piece as an equally intense um full length, but for me, it was intriguing, just on its own, as well as how they're having the potential.
1: I think that things are often more interesting for for us as audience members to fill in the blanks on our own. We don't need yeah. to know what this person did. I think it's better to keep it mysterious because because then it's it the the horror is developed I mean, I think that's part of like the the magic of of the horror genre
0: the part of the the intrigue of it as well is it puts in my mind that if you saw it kind of live on stage and then um went for drinks with friends afterwards you would be sat there for like a good 15 minutes half an hour going but why that and why this and why did she do that and what's <laughs> and that for me is like theater that inspires
1: yeah it's always good to to have a play live with you even even if it's maybe a little bit uh, scary or or devastating um to have a play live with you for a couple of days after you've seen it
0: Mm. so you have a kind of final central thought of the play itself
1: to me it's sort of a cat and mouse game Mm. but the mouse thinks she's the cat at the beginning
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is all the time we have for today. Mister. thank you so much for joining me. Um, thank I- you. This was fun. Before I do say goodbye to you, though, uh, do you want to tell my listeners where they can enjoy your podcast as well?
1: Yes, my podcast, 101 Stage Adaptations, is available wherever you get your podcasts. So Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, all the places. So, all the places. Um, <laughs> all the places. And you can find me on social media at 101 podcast.
0: And that, as they say, is that. As always, I hope you've enjoyed the theatrical shenanigans we've had today and if you have, then please give us a like and follow on Facebook and make sure you share us with anyone else you think would like a listen. In the meantime, though, I'm Rachel Feeney-Williams. This is Theatrical Shenanigans, bringing down the curtain and saying I hope you can join us next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW Scripts production with music written and produced by Chris Cody.